Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Heart and Soul. In this series, we learn that as the body of Christ, we are united around one message, bound by something greater than ourselves. We are the sum total of our gifts. We serve the same Lord, and we are moving with a common purpose. Glad you're here. If it's your first time here, man, we are super excited that you chose to come and worship with us. Our prayer is that God will do something awesome in your life as every Sunday, man. That's our prayer. That's our heart is we want to see God do incredible things in and through you. Things that you can't take credit for, things that we can't take credit for, things that transform this community, um, things that transform lives that people have to step back and say, wow, God did that. So um, that's our heart. That's our pursuit. And that's what we want for you. Real quick, I want to tell you about an opportunity and a need that we have here in the church. Um, Most of you, a lot of you come in on Sunday morning and you walk in and you see a lot of people with blue shirts. Now you see some people with these fluorescent yellow shirts. You can't miss them, right? I mean, they're, they're out in the parking lot. We did that because we did almost have somebody get run over one day out in the parking lot. So we're like, let's put something on them that people not only see them, but they hear them. And I think we've accomplished that purpose. Um, you can hear those shirts coming. And so we have all these people serving. A lot of times you walk in and you see um, what's been put up, what's been set up, what's been done. And um, you can kind of begin to just take it for granted that it is what it is. Um, But there's a lot of work that goes into getting that done. And our staff shows up at 6 o'clock. We have a handful of volunteers who are very, very faithful who show up at 6. But here's the honest truth. Like, we, we need some more help to do this. Um, we want to create environments where people can come in and they can know that they're welcome, that they can know that um, uh, God is in this place just by the faces they see and the people they see. But we need some help in setting this place up um, and, and with some things that are coming in the future. We just need, we need you to step up and help. And so if you're not serving or if you have time where you could serve once a month to come in at, at six o'clock, we are talking about heart and soul, right? So like you showing up once a month at six o'clock, that's pretty much the epitome of heart and soul. Like if you would get out of bed that early and some of you are like, I get up at four 30 every morning. I'm like, that's crazy. But if you'll do that, man, that would be awesome. And, and you can sign up at a next step table. Listen, we need two area leaders. We need, um, we need six team leaders and we need about 13 team members. We need about 21 people total. And this is what I know. Every time we've ever challenged you, every time we've ever asked, any time we've ever brought something before you like that, you've stepped up. And I believe with all my heart that you will again this time. And so it would just be a huge thing for us um, to be able to do the ministry that we do and continue to reach people, um, connecting them to God and to each other. If you just when you leave here, if you're interested in helping in that area, you just sign up at the next steps table. So I want to bring that opportunity, that need to your attention. All right, we're going to continue the heart and soul message uh, as today. Um, and we've been looking at, at what it means to be heart and soul at Connection Church. This is what we call our members. We don't just have members. We have people who are heart and soul who say, this is what we're going to invest in. This is what we're going to do. This is, this is where we see that God is going to change lives and we want to pour everything we can into um, the church, the local church, which is just the hope of the world. Um, be, being heart and soul means literally Listen, we are united around one message, that we are preaching one message from, from set up to the parking lot to, to the pulpit. We don't really, I guess we have more of a stage than a pulpit, but, but we're proclaiming one message, right? Um, listen, we are bound together by one spirit. The Holy Spirit is b- binding us together that we serve one Lord, our heart and soul for one Lord that, um, Listen, we're not, we're not just the gifts of one person, but we're the sum total of all the gifts. We're the body of Christ. And so many different people come together 
to make this happen, to make this function as the church that Jesus died for it to be um, and, and that we can proclaim life to others. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're united. We're, we're one person under the headship of Christ doing the work of God. That's what it means for us to be heart and soul, to be moving in one common direction to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And we've been looking at that. This will be the fourth week, one more week next week. And then we're going into a new series called Next, which um, you don't want to miss this, man. We've got some stuff coming up, an announcement at the end of this that that you're going to want to be here for. It's going to be an awesome um, series. I believe God's going to do some incredible things. I'm as excited about this series coming up as I have been any, um, just because I believe I'm 99.999% sure that we're moving in exactly the direction God wants us to move. And so I can't wait to see what he does. As we continue this series today, you can turn to Jeremiah 32 and uh, open your Bibles there. And we'll get to that in just a second. Jeremiah 32, we're going to be reading in verse 36, 36 through 41. All right. Y'all ready? Everybody good? Everybody awake? Anybody celebrate Georgia Southern's win too much last night? So you're kind of sleepy? Yeah, a little bit. All right, wake up. It's important. It's the word of God, right? Living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, body and soul, spirit, joint marrow. It's good stuff. So let's get into it. Let's pray. And then we're going to jump in. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, God, that the Eagles won. Thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us life through Jesus and God, that you do incredible things in us. You can do incredible things through us. May your word have its way now as we look at the hope of the gospel of Jesus and we see this incredible message that we are united around. May it pierce our hearts, change our lives, Lord, awaken us to who you are in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I was praying about this message and and kind of just really praying about how I wanted to start it off. And the thing that kept going over in my heart is I feel like if we're going to be heart and soul um, and and we're going to be heart and soul together, I feel like it's one of those things where you kind of have to put all your cards on the table. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to be one and to trust each other and to love each other and to know each other. I mean, it's like this in marriage. If you don't really have all your cards on the table, it's hard to trust somebody that you don't feel like you know everything about. And so this morning, the first thing I really wanted to do is just kind of put all my cards on the table. I mean, I started off like this, I guess set the message up like this, is that um, the other day I was getting something out of my truck and I opened the back door where my five, my six-year-old Jackson usually sits And when I opened the door, I noticed something on the handle of the door. I have tan interior and there was blue pen in two different spots on the handle on my door. And I was like, hmm, wonder how that got there. And so the next time I see Jackson, I'm out actually going out to my mom and dad's house and and he gets out of the truck. and, And when he got out, I happened to see it again. And it reminded me someone wrote on my door. I don't know about you, but I, I just like, I like my stuff to be right. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I'm a little infuriated that somebody wrote on my door. And so I said, Jackson, um, you don't know who happened to write on my door, do you? He looked at me, like eyes big, like caught guilty. Looks at the door, looks at me, looks at the door, looks at me, looks at the door. You can literally see him weighing his options, right? He's trying to think, do I come clean or do I not? And so finally he looks at me and he goes, I did. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, 
let's not do that anymore. And he looked at me like, wow, I made the right choice. And I said, let's just don't do that anymore. And I turned around and started walking off. And I turned back around and I said, Jackson, yes, sir. Thank you for telling me the truth. And he looked at me, he goes, you're welcome. And that was it. And I literally, I I walked, I, I turned around and I walked away and I literally felt like I did that right. I I actually handled that the right way. Like I didn't blow up and throw stuff. Like I think he might've learned something through that. And I was kind of proud. I was kind of like, man, you're, you're a good dad. That was awesome. And so I was like, maybe I, I got that right. But here's the reality. And I could tell you about the rest of my week that those times seem to be few and far between. Would anybody else agree with me in here that that seems like at different times in your life, some more than others, you just seem to screw up everything you touch? Anybody else? Like you try to do the right thing and the more you try, the worse you get. You know, you try to be a better father and the next thing you know, like everybody's crying in the car. I don't even know what I did. I just screwed it up. I just messed it up. And, and we go through these times where, man, I look at my own life and to be honest and to put my cards on the table, there's times when I don't feel worthy to stand up here and talk to you out of the word of God. I was standing backstage holding my Bible and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, what a responsibility. It's the living and active word of God, his word, not mine. And I'm supposed to come out here and deliver it. And see, here's my fear is that somehow you would elevate me to a place higher than yourself. But I I was looking at Twitter the other day. I don't tweet a lot. I I don't do social media a lot. If you send me a message on Facebook, listen, I'll get back to you next month. I just don't check it very often. It's not because I don't love you. It's just I don't check it very often. Email me. But but I was I was on Twitter the other day and I saw somebody put on Twitter, actually a couple of people where they were talking about listening to old messages from our church. And they were like. At B. Williams 08, that's my handle. Um, At B. Williams 08, what a godly man. And I was like. <laughs> and you know what? That wasn't my wife that tweeted that. My nine-year-old, six-year-old, and two-year-old did not go on Twitter. 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 <laughs> they didn't go on Twitter or Twitter and put what a godly man. Because they know me. They know who I am. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. I'm an imperfect person. I'm not perfect. And if you're here and you have a hard time with a pastor who's imperfect. With a pastor who is simply on the journey with you. Then this is the wrong church. Listen, we're all imperfect people on a journey together being christian doesn't make you perfect perfect it means that one day you will be but this side of heaven man we're on a journey together and that's not an excuse for us just to continue in sin and continue to do wrong things and and not try it's just a reality that if we're going to be heart and soul and we're really going to do what God's called us to do, we've got to be able and be willing to put our cards on the table and to say, I need help. I'm not perfect. 
I screw up. I want to be better than what I am today. And we come to a place where we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with each other. We realize we can't do it. And we come to this point where we say, God, only by your strength. God, only by your power. There is a sweet surrender that happens when we finally get to the place where we realize I can't do it. Will we finally come to that place of saying it is either God and his grace or it's not at all. Because this is what I know. For the people in here who are Christians, most of you today are walking in more guilt and condemnation than you are the joy of Christ. And here's the crazy thing about it. We try to pursue Jesus. We fail. We feel guilty. And it starts a downward spiral in our life that makes us worse than we were before. And my prayer today is that as we look at Jeremiah chapter 32, that you're going to be, be encouraged, that you're going to be challenged, that you're going to see what God is about. And you're going to see that God desires to do something incredible in your life, that he would do it, not you, that our simple response to God is to love him, to surrender to him. And simply to pursue him. So Jeremiah chapter 32. Let me set it up for you. Jeremiah was a prophet. Prophet in the Old Testament. He's in Jerusalem. Um, Israel has been sinning. That's the people of God. They've been sinning like crazy. And, and, and we're coming to a place where their sin has finally caught up to them. Actually what's happening is the Babylonians are coming in and they're attacking the city. They have walls around the city. They're coming in, they're attacking the city. Jeremiah was actually in jail for proclaiming that this was going to happen. God spoke to him and Jeremiah begins to tell the people, listen, here's the deal. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to carry us off into captivity. And it's because we have sinned. Destruction is coming. Condemnation, judgment is coming. Get ready. And the king didn't like it, so he put him in jail. He even asked him, Jeremiah, why in the world do you keep saying these things? And Jeremiah's like, I, because it's about to happen. And we're at this place where they're literally building these ramps, these, these siege walls, these siege ramps up to the top of the walls around the city. And they're about to come over the top and take over the city. And this is where we pick up in Jeremiah 32. All this is happening. And then Jeremiah's cousin shows up. Jeremiah's cousin shows up and he's like, um, Jeremiah, We've fallen on some hard times and I was wondering, you know, we've got to get rid of this field. We've got to sell this field and and you're the next in kin. And according to the Jewish tradition and Jewish law, the next in kin, if they could, had to buy the field. They called it redeeming um, a property or redeeming somebody. They had to take and purchase that thing. So basically Jeremiah's cousin comes and said, listen, we're, we're having hard times. We've got to sell this field. I need you to buy it. And Jeremiah's like, did you? You happen to pass anybody on the way into town today? There's a few people called the Babylonians that are outside. They're about to destroy this place. And the reality of it is, if I buy your field, they're just going to take it. They're just going to come. It's going to be theirs. And then God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, buy the field. Jeremiah's like, what? It's like, buy the field. He said, because this is my word. One day, one day. Land will be bought and sold and traded in this land again. And this is where we're picking up in verse 36. 
Jeremiah purchases the field. They seal the transaction. It's done. And then in verse 36, we'll read through verse 41. And we're going to talk about the scripture some. Verse 36, it says, you're saying about this city. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. By the sword, famine, and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them, listen, in this land with all my heart and my soul. How many of you would admit that life's difficult? Anybody? Life's just hard sometimes, right? If, if you don't admit that, then like, you're just really deceived because life is a challenge. Life is difficult. How much harder is it when we're in a place where, where we see like you can almost see down the path that there's things that just aren't going well? How many of you have been in that place where, where just the weight of your sin seemed to be pulling you down, right? The weight of your guilt, your condemnation, the weight of, of, of the screw ups and the things that you've gotten wrong. Just seems to be weighting you down. You seem to be reaping what you've sown. Anybody in here that you've you experienced that, right? You, you get to this place where you just realize this is just hard. And sometimes you feel like I didn't do anything. What did I do to deserve this? And times are just hard and things are just difficult. And we're going through difficult times. And I don't know how many of you have ever gotten to a place where you've wondered, am I even going to make it? Hello? Anybody? Am I even going to make it? Am I even going to survive being a father? Are my children going to survive me being a father? Am I going to make it as a husband? Am I going to make it as a wife? Not me. I'm not going to make it as a wife. But, but am I even going to make it? Am I going to finish this race? Am I going to finish this journey? I feel so weighted down. I feel so burdened. Hello, anybody this week said, I'm just tired. Thank you. Yes, I got some hands that time. I'm just tired. Anybody is tired of being tired. Then today's for you. Can you imagine Jeremiah in this place? They're being attacked. They're, they're losing everything. Total destruction. Are we even going to make it? And this is what the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah's saying this. He's saying, God, look around. Look around, God, as if God hadn't already seen as if God wasn't in control, as if God didn't already know. He says, look around, God, we're in the middle of destruction. We're in the middle of the sword. We're literally about to be destroyed. And you say to me, God, or Jeremiah, you go by the field, go by this field. Jeremiah's like, Lord, this isn't the time to be getting into real estate. It's not time. We need to be running for the hills. And God says, Jeremiah, This is what you say. You're saying about this city that by the sword and famine and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. And listen to this. But this is a big old but. But 
This is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them. Listen, here's this transition that happens. God has been talking about all of this destruction and all of the condemnation and judgment that's going to take place because of their sin. And then God says, but, but, thank God for the but, right? Because there's a transition that begins to happen. And God says, you say destruction, sword, famine, but I, the Lord of creation, am telling you that one day I will redeem a people for myself. That one day I will redeem a people that will love me. One day I will reclaim this land and these people will be my people. Are you thankful this morning? That there was a but in there. That it wasn't just destruction and condemnation. But at some point, God said, but I haven't given up on my plan. And there's five promises that God gives us in this scripture. I want to give these to you. Listen, I want to give you these five promises real quick. I'm going to give you some application. And then, man, listen, today we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Remember what Jesus did for us. And then we're going to get you out of here so you can get to RJ's or Mellow Mushroom or, or El Som or wherever it is you eat lunch. So, but, but this is the prayer. In the next few minutes that God totally changes our hearts, that he does something crazy inside of us and he begins to do something amazing through us. There's some of you in here today and I just know this today, you've almost given up. You are at that point and I want to encourage you, don't quit. God has not quit on you and you're going to see this in these scriptures. The first promise out of verse 37, he says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. Listen, I will surely gather. And then he says, I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. Let's establish one thing. Who's going to do it? God. He doesn't say you will. What does he say? I will. I will gather my people. I will bring them back. The first promise is that he will again gather a people to himself. Just as clearly as, as it is in scripture. He says, one day I'm going to gather a people to myself. And this should be good news for us this morning. That God didn't give up. God didn't quit. God didn't stop short. Even in the midst of chaos and literally the Israelites standing on the threshold of hell. He looks at them and he says, there's going to be a day when I'm going to bring my people back to me. That's awesome news. That's good news for us. Listen, that echoes over, over in first Peter chapter two, verse nine, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy spirit says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priest, priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, once you weren't a people, but guess what? The great God of the universe reached down and he pulled you to himself. And he says, now you're my people. Not only are you my people, but you are a royal priesthood. Meaning that for the rest of our lives, we spend it making sacrifices of praise to the Lord. Not with the blood of bulls and goats and sheep. Thank God. Like we start killing animals up here, we're getting kicked out of states for high school. 
Not with the blood of bulls. And, 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 and some of y'all are like, dog, dog, I want to kill that darn animal. You know? But not with the blood of bulls and sheep and goats, but, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice once and for all that he died for our sins, that we would become this royal priesthood. And see, here's the thing. Y'all might look at me as a priest, but you don't look at yourself as a priest. So too many of you in here. But you're called just as much to minister to God's people as I am. Why? Because God has gathered his people to himself. He's called them to himself. Are you thankful this morning that God called you to him? Like God found you. You didn't find God. God was not wandering around Walmart lost. You didn't accidentally bump into him on Main Street. God found you. We were lost. We were dead. And he found us and made us alive in Christ. That is a good and glorious truth. The second promise. Verse 38. He says, they will be my people and I will be their God. Number two, he promises that he will be their God. Listen, all I'm doing is repeating the scripture, right? He will be their God. He said, I will be their God. They're going to be my people. I will be their God. Can we just stop just a second? Because it's easy for us just to glass over that and just move on, right? He will be our God. Yay. Right? Can we just stop for just a second? Let that thought sink in. Like quit stirring. Just be still. Here's the reality. He's our God. He is our God. We're his prize. He's our treasure. He redeemed us. Purchased us back. Took us out of our sin and out of death. And he says, I will be your God. I don't we, we can't fathom that, but here's what scares me. That statement no longer amazes us. It's just gotten old. But I can tell you this, every day that our feet hit the floor and we begin to go about our day, that thought should send a shiver down our spine. That thought that he is my God, the one who is rich in mercy and great in love, and full of power and sovereignly in control, loves me and works all things to the good for me so that I have nothing to fear, so that I have, I don't have to fight for a victory. I can fight from a victory that he is my God and everything that was within him has been given to me as his heir. He is your God. He is your God. The third one, the third promise, verse 40, or verse 39, I'm sorry. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. Number three, he promises to give them a new heart that will give them a common purpose. It reminds me of Ezekiel 36, 26, where God says, listen, I'm going to put a new spirit in them. 
I'm going to make a new covenant with them. I'm going to put a new spirit in them. I'm going to pull out their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. I'm no longer going to write my laws and my decrees and my commands on tablets of stone, which would be the Ten Commandments and all these laws that the Israelites built up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to change your heart. I'm literally going to give you a heart transplant and I'm going to do a work inside of you and I'm going to write the decrees and the things that I want from you on your heart so that you begin to pursue me and live for me. I'm going to change the person that you are meaning that second corinthians 5 17 is true that he was in christ is a new creation the old is gone the new has come there's something new that happens on the inside of us god gives us a new heart he changes our heart he by his power writes his decrees and his laws on our heart and he promises i will do this see this is the great difference between the old testament and the new testament The Old Testament gave commands and laws and decrees, but it was void of power to help us carry it out. It was just, here's all these things you've got to do, now do it. But the Bible says that that, that the problem with the law was that we were too weak to do it. It wasn't that the law was bad. The law is useful. It points us to our need for Jesus. But the reality was we couldn't do it. We can't do it. The New Testament, God says, listen, you can't do it, so I did it for you. I did it for you. I did it through Jesus. I sent him for you. Because you can't live it. You can't do it. So now what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we run this race that he's called us to, pursuing him not pursuing laws and pursuing rules. And so many of us, listen, we're stuck in dead religion. You know why? We're not pursuing Christ. We're trying to live a religious life. And here's the thing. Your world still revolves around you. And Jesus is one of the things that revolves around you. We weren't meant to have him revolve around us. We're meant to revolve around him. He's not a planet in our orbit. We're a planet in his Listen, the problem for many of us is we're trying to live this compartmentalized life where he's just a part. And listen, he didn't die to be a part. He died to be the whole stinking thing. He didn't die so we could try to adhere to some religious rules and regulations. He died so that we could come to a place of having a new heart to live with a new purpose. Number four out of verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant. That's important. An everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me. Listen, so that they will never turn away from me. Number four, he promises to make an everlasting covenant with us. So that he will never turn away from us. And we will never turn away from him. It's important that we look at this and we see the word everlasting covenant. What does everlasting mean? It means it's forever. It means it's ongoing. It means it continues. It it keeps on. And everlasting also refers back to the same thing as a new covenant. What what Ezekiel spoke of in 36, that I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. Why? The old one wasn't working. It wasn't God's fault. It was our fault. We were too weak to fulfill it. He said, so I'm going to make a new covenant. This time it wouldn't be a covenant in which we hold up some end of the bargain. God says, listen, I'm going to do it all and then I'm going to draw you to faith. And through your faith, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you righteous through Christ. I'm going to give you the righteousness you cannot attain. That's a pretty good deal, right? You can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. 
You've been in situations like that where you're up against something. You couldn't do it. Somebody comes in, they do it for you. Praise God. It works. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians about communion, about worship. And he says, for I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, this is the blood of a new covenant. This is my body that was broken for you. The body that's going to bear your sins, that your sins are going to be put upon. The body that's going to be punished so that you don't have to be. This is the blood of the new covenant that's poured out for your sins to cover your sins. The sacrifice for what you've done wrong. The, the one who had no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what he's telling us in here. This is why the communion table is so awesome. This is why the communion table is so sweet because we come to the table and the power is not in the bread and in the juice. It's in the body and the blood that was shed for us. It was broken for us so that we get to experience anew the grace and the mercy and the power of God. We get to experience that. And so we come to this place where we realize that he has established this covenant with us that we simply are grafted into, that we become a part of because we put our faith and our trust in him. Number five. Back over in Jeremiah 32. Verse 41. This is probably my favorite verse in the scripture. He says, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and all my soul. Number five. He promises to do this with all of his heart and with all of his soul. He promises to firmly plant us in his sustaining grace. And listen, it starts at the moment of salvation and it continues through eternity. He promises to plant us. Isn't it awesome to know that he's the one who plants us firmly in his grace. That it's not up to us or our strength to keep ourselves there. But that God says, listen, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant so that you never turn away from me. I'll never turn away from you. Here's the problem. Here's the one thing we all have in common. We've all rebelled against God and we all have a tendency to want to wander, don't we? Anybody? Yes. We have a tendency to want to take our eyes off of the prize, off of Christ, off of the treasure and put them on something else. But God says this, he says, I'm not going to let you go. I put my spirit in you and I refuse. I will not let you go. And he says, I promise this. I'm going to do this with all my heart and with all my soul. What's God saying? But this, I'm all in with everything within me. With all the intensity that I have, with all of the energy that I have, I'm going to firmly plant you in my grace. How do I know we're going to make it? How do I know that the church is going to make it? Because it wasn't planted in my strength. 
It's not planted in your strength. It's planted in the strength and grace of God. How do I know that we as believers are going to make it to the end? I know this. Because God has planted us in his grace. That he holds us. It's not by our will or by our power, but by his. How do I know that that I'm even going to finish this race? That you are. Because it's not by my power or by my might, but by the grace of God. And I want to encourage some of you today because you think you're on the brink and you don't know if you can make it. God has got you. Will you trust him? It's almost like being saved from drowning. You ever seen somebody get saved from drowning and they go out and the lifeguard almost gets beat half to death. Like you're flailing around. They go in and try to grab them and they they literally beat the mess out of them. The best thing they could do is simply relax and trust the one who's come to save them. And I want to tell you, I don't know if it ministers to you, but it ministers to me. Because I spend so much of my life flailing, trying to save myself. When Jesus is the only one who has and the only one who can save me. No one else has the ability I want you to understand that these promises apply to you. We have been grafted into this covenant of the blood of Jesus by his death on the cross. We have been grafted in. We've been brought near to God. These weren't just words spoken by a prophet hundreds of years ago, but these are words that are true now. And I want you to see real quick how this plays out in our lives. If you want to turn to Psalms chapter 1, I want to read some scripture. I want to give you just a few things that this looks like in our lives. How we live this out. How we walk this out in our own lives. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Look at verse 3 again. He says he is like a tree planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers what does it look like to live and walk in the grace of god what does it look like to live in the power of the spirit to be planted by god right in the smack dab in the middle of his grace what does it look like it says he's like a tree planted by streams of water the first thing it means is it means that you're growing it means you're growing a stream or a tree planted by streams of water it's growing God's desire is that you grow. God's desire is that his church grows. You're like, I don't want to go to that church. It's too big. Listen, God wants the church to grow. You know, he wants the church to grow more than I do. He wants the church to grow more than you do. His church, every church in Statesboro, he would love to have a space issue. The reality is he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow as individuals. He wants us to grow in our love for him as we grow closer to him. He wants us to grow. 
forever changing us more and more as we reflect the glory of Jesus. Number two, it means you're satisfied. Here's the question I would ask you. Number one, are you growing? Number two, are you satisfied in Christ? Are you satisfied? Listen, here's the odd thing about satisfaction though. Satisfaction in Jesus is complete. In fact, it's the only place that you can be completely satisfied. You can't find it in your spouse. You can't find it in your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your job, how much money you have. Because here's the thing I've noticed. If you have a million dollars, you want two. If you have a hundred, you want 200. If you have a car, you want a bigger car. If you have a bigger car, you want a boat. If you have a boat, you want a bigger boat. If you've got a boat, you want an airplane, right? We always want something else. The only place that there's 100% satisfaction is in Jesus. Satisfaction in Jesus is 100% complete. Here's the thing. It's not 100% perfected in us. We talked about it earlier. The one thing we all have in common, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to, to turn away from the God that we love. There was a song that was written about that. We're prone to move away from him. But our satisfaction can be found in Christ. Here's reality. How many of you in here would be willing to say that you're not 100% satisfied with the circumstances around you? Even the apostle Paul said this. He's like, really, I would long to go and be with the Lord Jesus. I'd like to just exit this life. But the reality is it's better for me to stay here because there's things I have to do. That I would remain. And here's the reality for us, y'all. We can't find our joy in the things that are going on around us. We'll never find our joy in circumstances. But this is the thing. When I look at my circumstances, I look at things around me. I look at things that aren't exactly the way I wish they were. It can be depressing. But when I look at the future hope I have in Christ, I can rejoice. There's some of you going through horrific things, things that we would, listen, we, we couldn't understand. But the reality of it is your satisfaction, your joy. Listen, this is, this is temporary. I would encourage you to do what the Bible says. Let's put our eyes on heavenly things and rejoice in the fact that our future is secure in Christ. There's people in here, listen, you, you, you don't have everything that you would like. There are people in here who literally suffer lack. I mean, they, there's things they need. Every one of us in here would probably say, well, I'd love to have this or I'd love to have that. I'm not completely satisfied because I'd love to have that. Listen, that, that, that's reality. Our hearts begin to long for things, other things. We begin to pursue other things. We have to come back to a place where we're simply satisfied in him. Rather than focusing on what we lack, we focus on, on what we have in abundance. Namely, his presence. That he is our God. That we are his children. And he's never leaving or forsaking us. There are people today, who, and I would say this is probably a number one thing for folks in the church. You're not satisfied with your performance. You wish you were better than you were. Let me help you with this. You're never going to be satisfied with your performance. But we can be satisfied with the performance of Christ on the cross. We'll never be satisfied. We're not good enough. That is the point. But when we focus our eyes on Jesus and we pursue him with all that we have, he begins to change our heart. He begins to change our lives. The third one, 
It means that you're fruitful. If you're planted in the grace of God, you're fruitful. Are you fruitful? Are you producing a greater harvest of fruit in your life? Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit being worked out of you as you work out your salvation, pursuing Jesus? Is the fruit of the Spirit of God being shown more evident in you? The the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control, all of those. Are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? Are you growing in that way? Next one, it says, which yields its fruit in season. And it says, and whose leaf does not wither. To be in the grace of God, it means you persevere. It means that you continue. And this is the thing I know because I've had conversations with some of you. Some of you are in a drought. You feel like you're in a drought. And, and, and you're wondering, am I ever going to get through this? My relationship with God, it was, it was so sweet. It was so full. And now I just don't know what happened. But this is the awesome thing that when God plants us in his grace, it says we're planted like a tree near streams of water. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to doubt. We can trust in the Lord that he'll supply our need, that he'll supply our lack. That he's got us. He's got our back. The cool thing about a tree planted by streams of water. There's no fear of drought. Why? You've got all you need. And I want to encourage you. That Jesus is all that we need. But For the majority of us in here. We continually look to other things. Including myself. Today, my prayer is that you would refocus back on Christ. That you would trust him with your life. You would make him the center of your world, not a planet that orbits around it. Not a part of your life, but the whole thing. This is what I know. When he plants us, he has us. Be real honest with you and close this out. There was a time a few years ago when I went through a really challenging time, probably the lowest time in my life. And when I got to that point, I literally decided it wasn't even about whether or not I wanted to be in ministry. It was about whether or not I even wanted to be a Christian. And I got to this place where I was like, I don't, I don't see anybody living it. I see a lot of people talking about it. i see a lot of people putting on suits and going to church. I see a lot of people who proclaim one thing and live another. I see a lot of people whose who's, who's mouths um, praise, praise God, but their hearts aren't anywhere near him. I, was, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this. And this is just a reality. I literally tried to walk away from God. I literally, like, and you can ask Susan, because it went from when she would get in my truck to listening to Hillsong, to like I would turn the ignition on, and it was like back in black from ACDC. I ain't saying there's a whole lot wrong. I'm just saying. But there was this intentional turning. I just decided, I don't know if I even want this anymore. Is it even worth it? And the thing that I found was that even when I tried, I knew in my heart I could not live without Christ. I knew that there was something inside of me that kept pulling me back. And when I read these scriptures again in Jeremiah, I realized that thing is God. 
It's the Spirit. It's Him inside of me. That no matter how hard it got, no matter how frustrated I was, I would turn and try to walk away. And yet God would patiently guide me back. Sometimes He'd kick me in the butt. But He would pull me back. And I want to encourage you that if God has planted you, if He is your Lord, He will pull you back. Listen, if we're not living this life of grace, there's only two reasons. There's two options. One, you're not a Christian. I mean, just to put it, you don't know Jesus. He doesn't know you. You don't belong to him. That's option one. Or number two, you're a Christian who's allowed yourself to wander. You've walked away, maybe even intentionally, angry with God. But there's something in you that says, I've got to have him. I cannot live without him. He is the only source of life. Even when it's hard and it's difficult and I don't understand, I know he is the only source of life. And what do you do? You pray and you pursue. You pray, God, change my heart. Change my life. And then you pursue. God, change me. And then you go after him. And the reality of it is, it's what the Bible says. You draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. God, change me, draw me near, and then pursue. I wonder how many of us are here today. We simply need to begin to pursue Christ. It's a simple message, it's a simple gospel. And maybe you need to remember what Jesus did for you. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, back in those communion scriptures, This is what it says. It says that we should examine our hearts before we take communion. And that we should do it in remembrance of Him. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a second. I'm going to ask the people who are serving communion if they'll get their bread and get their juice and go to where they need to go. And we're going to come to this place where we examine our own hearts. When's the last time you just got still and reflected on the fact that God is your God? That you are His child? That if you are in Christ... You've been born to a new life and you've just allowed him to speak to your heart. I want you to examine your heart. What is it that needs to be made right with God? And I want you to celebrate what he did for us. I want you to put your eyes on him and trust in him. Listen, I know that people in here, you're wondering when is he going to show up? Listen, he does not delay. I pray that you'll remember his promises to gather, to be our God, to do what only he can do. I just want you to take a moment, allow him to speak to your heart.